So today I end our message series talking about the tough stuff, and it culminates very intentionally in this last final message, talking about our spiritual growth and how do we share our spiritual growth with integrity, because if we are grounded in talking about money and sex and politics and death... Because if we can relate to the tough stuff, which is really, as I've been talking about these last four weeks, so much of the meaningful stuff in life, without anxious clinging or angry aversion, without clutching or without fear, if we can be soulfully at peace with all of these issues in our lives, which really, if you did like a brain scan, like one of those sort of simulated brain scans, and you looked how much time we all spent thinking about the things that preceded today, it'd be a lot of time. If. We can have these things, these combustible issues, be a regular part, a regular practice in our lives and relate to them with love rather than fear. Then we know what it's like to flourish. Then we know what it's like to grow spiritually. Then we know what it's like to live lives of integration rather than living partial, rather than living piece by piece by piece, all of ourselves scattered throughout our lives. This is the original, by the way, fulfillment of what religion means. Sometimes people say, well, Unitarian Universalism or progressive religion, it isn't really a religion because you don't have a dogma. Well, that's true. We're not a dogmatic religion. But the word religion, the Latin, re ligare, like ligament, re-ligamented, held together. If we do those things and relate to these tough things in a strong and grounded way, well, then we are growing and we are truly religious people. And yet many of us in our tradition, even in this community, we are wary, wary sometimes of talking about our spiritual growth, of looking or perhaps sounding like you have drunk the Kool-Aid. Sounding perhaps like one of those weird people who joined a cult, sort of lost connection with reality a little bit. And you all know where that Kool-Aid reference comes from? Let me see a show of hands. You know where that Kool-Aid reference comes from? Okay, you know about Jonestown, Guiana, the massacre. Did you know that that was also the largest single day of American civilian life lost in just one day? Over 900 people until September 11th. And they drank not, I don't know, the Kool-Aid people got a bad rap from this. They didn't drink Kool-Aid. They drank something called Flavor-Aid, grape, with a little cyanide on the side. Now, by the way, Kool-Aid, you laughed when I first mentioned it. It's now a joking byword. Kind of proves that old point that's got a bitter lesson, that comedy is really tragedy plus time, or we wouldn't be laughing about it. But that aside, the deeper fear, the fear is that we will lose our minds if we talk too much about who we are spiritually, or we'll be thought to have lost our minds. We'll be considered a little bit weird, a little bit strange, a little bit the kind of person, ooh, we don't want to invite them to a cocktail party, because you know what, they'll start talking about that stuff that polite people don't talk about. But I want to tell you, it is okay and it is good, not just okay, it is good, to be thought a little bit strange in this way, to be a little weird. Living your life in connection with a deeper flow means that sometimes you will be at a disconnect with a more superficial flow. And that superficial flow will not be enough for you, and you will stand out if you share who you are with the world. You will stand out, and that's all right. 
Because when you stand out, it gives you the chance to stand and act for goodness. It gives you the chance to speak out from a place of wisdom. It gives you the chance to reach out with healing to a world that is in a lot of pain. A lot of people are in a lot of pain right now. And this smaller life that's part of the whole of Wellsprings is true. But it's also, we hear it in the news. We hear a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear. And so I'd say folks are ready, ready to hear a good word now and again. And a good word that comes from you. We can share this part of our lives without being zealots and without sounding like zombies who have drunk the Kool-Aid and are just apart in that strange way. The secret of doing this in the right way is sharing the meaning of your life rather than commanding others to live the way that you want them to live. The secret comes in showing the truth in very small, very meaningful ways of who you are rather than telling the them what they must do if they want to get to the place that you are the exalted one that, of course, you are. This is the difference between proselytizing and simply sharing your spiritual growth. Now, all of you who joined today, you've heard this story that I'm going to tell. It's what we tell in our 1.0, our first steps into spiritual community here at Wellsprings. I was at my first semester at Yale Divinity School. You think Ivy League institution, everyone sort of enlightened, educated. Well, everyone was certainly educated, enlightened. Well, not so much, I came to find out. Because when I first sat down with my mentor, my academic advisor would become a men- my mentor, a very progressive sister of mercy, Roman Catholic nun, and she knew I was sort of in this odd place of neither fish nor fowl that I was feeling because I was sort of quasi-Jewish in my connections with my ancestors, but not quite either really Christian either. And so I wasn't quite sure where I belonged. And she said, I have to apologize to you. It's the first thing she said to me. I have to apologize to you because there's this small, and it is small, coterie of really intolerant evangelicals here on our campus. And they're going to approach you at some point. And they did. <laughs> they thought maybe I was ripe for a little conversion to their way of life. I was ripe for conversion, but it was to something else entirely, as we'll hear about in a second. Not to, they, not to the way they saw the world. They would do things like not go to the progressive Christian worship that was held every day, Monday through Friday, because that was just too open-minded from these Episcopalians and these United Church of Christ folks. And so what they'd do is they would not go to the worship. They would stand outside sometimes and leave these little biblical tractates, almost like little tickets telling you you're going to hell. (laughs) Apostate, (laughs) gay, (laughs) not holding the right doctrine, about who Jesus Christ was, <clears throat> Jewish, yeah. <laughs> Falls under that large category of non-believer. But I have to tell you, just a month later, I had a very different experience with someone sharing their faith with me. I told you I was at this odd place, neither fish nor fowl kind of thing, not really feeling embraced, not allowing myself to be embraced by the community, not knowing where I belong, not knowing I didn't exactly want to go back to where I came from but not finding the way forward yet. And I was sitting in a theology class, and we did these little breakout groups in which we sort of talked about our feelings, talked about our feelings about what we were reading, very touchy-feely kind of stuff. And I just sort of blurted out that I'm not sure if I'm going to stay here. I'm not sure, quite sure I belong here, if this is the right place for me. And there was one woman. Her name now is Reverend Rebecca Parkhill. Back then, it was just Rebecca Parkhill, and she was a born-and-raised Unitarian Universalist from Sudbury, Mass. And she heard my story, and she said, you know what? There's one of our communities, one of our congregations right around here that I'm going to take you to this Sunday if you want to go with me. And I did. And as they say, the rest is history. (laughs) 
and has brought me here to this time and this place with you. Because one person made an invitation that I absolutely must tell you changed my life just at the point when I needed it. That small conversation has led me to this place, and I am so, amongst the many, many conversations I've had in my life, so grateful that she reached out to me, that she provided a way and an opening for me to find my place in this world. Now, I want to tie this back to where we find ourselves right now as a country, where we find ourselves. Now, like you, I do not know how far down this financial mess rabbit hole, we will go. And if you are looking for me to provide a really sound opinion and diagnoses, well, if you're waiting on a minister to tell you what's going on economically, then go to the op-ed pages instead, please. It is a tough time. That's what we all know. This crisis of finance, this crisis of economic confidence has bred in many of us fear and uncertainty And in some folks, we're seeing signs of it, real vicious anger, ugly stuff. Some folks, not the folks perhaps who are all that angry, but maybe the folks who are just apprehensive. Some folks who are perhaps likely just to want to start rolling up the welcome mat of their lives. I'm going to go back as far as I can without hitting your piano here, Harry. Just wanting to retreat from things, wanting to get away, wanting to think that maybe they can find someplace, a little safe zone to crouch down in. The problem here is that they're not just talking about conserving money. They're talking about conserving energy and conserving love. When we hole up our lives, we also hole up the soul. And we retreat from life in all of its complexity. That is not our call here. Not our call here at all at Wellsprings. We believe that even if other things are growing scarce... That the most abundant resource in life is wisdom, is beauty, is insight. These things are not measured in markets. They are measured in meaning, and they are always here in our midst. The more so, the more of us who are here. When we speak about the good life at Wellsprings, we are not talking about the way, and my dad does this all the time. He calls me 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, right before closing bell, letting me know where the market is, letting me know the status of my inheritance. (laughs) You know, that kind of anxiety, putting the focus there, I understand it. But when we talk about the good life here, we're not talking about finances. We're not talking about how much you have in your bank account. Rather, we are talking about the ways in which your life is blessed. A good life, a truly good life, and why, by the way, I don't have anything against pleasure or riches or anything like that. We're not that sort of nasty, sort of hating Puritanism kind of right here. We're not like that. Like Seinfeld said, not that there's anything wrong with those things. There's not. But there's a deeper call that we're about here in this community. We are called week after week after week, and indeed day after day, if you are a person who calls this your spiritual home, we are called into relationship with the things that matter most. That is what constitutes the good life. That is what constitutes the good life. And when we live from this place, we will be able to face whatever is there in our lives. And what we see also is that these anxious times bring, in fact, some opportunity. It brings us the opportunity to talk about our vision of what truly is the good life. See, as tangible things become a little more scarce or seem a little more scarce, we can turn the conversation, all of us, to the intangible things that are never 
at all scarce in our lives. The kinds of things that are not measured in markets, but measured in meaning. These recent high holy days, any of you come from Jewish ancestry, you know that Yom Kippur just concluded this past week, the Day of Atonement. And there's a beautiful practice as part of these days of awe, as part of these high holy days. It is called Tashlit. Any of you ever heard that word? Tashlit. It's Hebrew. Basically comes from a line in the book of Ecclesiastes that says this exactly. Cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will get it back. Cast your bread upon the waters for after many days you will get it back. It is so important right now, whatever your practice is, to make it a practice of abundance. Not a practice of fear and retreat because it is so easy to do that, but a practice of abundance and to know that when we set free the love in our lives and send it out and cast it upon the waters, it will return to us. What we give in goodness will be a part of our lives and will not diminish. I want to encourage you all, find those abundance practices right now. Right now, because if not, there are so many things insidious that will worm their ways into our hearts and our souls and will get us practicing depletion practices. Find those abundance practices. Because a down market, although it means stressed lives, does not have to mean depressed living. It does not have to mean despair. I want to encourage you to find ways in each and every one of your lives to continue to cast your bread upon the waters. Cast your bread upon the waters in such a way that people will see and will know the truth of who you are. Now, of course, not everyone will want, will want what Wellsprings is about or what your life is about. We have a very distinct message and a wonderful one and one that I know many, many people are yearning for. But the one thing we don't offer is a get out of hell free card. Because, you know, there are a lot of communities that believe that we are booked from our birth with a ticket on the Inferno Express. That's not what we offer. We believe that stamped in inside of each and every one of our lives is an invitation, yes, from birth, but not on the downbound train. An invitation to grow. An invitation to flourish. Not all of us will answer that. I hope all of you, in your own way, are answering that, whatever the circumstances of your lives. Some people will reject that because they see in it either a lie or they see in it too broad a truth. In our core values, we talk about our spiritual voice here at Wellsprings, that our spiritual voice offers a choice beyond either secularism or fundamentalism, not between, not splitting down the middle 50-50, but beyond those two false choices, beyond the false choices of fundamentalist skepticism or fundamentalist religion. Beyond those two things, I ran into one of these voices of the fundamentalist religious side about a year, maybe 15 months ago, when I was out in the community sharing Wellsprings, and she at first seemed very, very interested in what we might be talking about here in this community. And as we got a little bit deeper, I could see that she wasn't quite getting the answer that she wanted. Finally, she just blurted out, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the sole method of God's salvation for the world? Soul? I asked. No. No. And then at that point, the conversation got honest. It was pretty good, but there was a little crossed arms there on both our sides. But eventually, we were not going to see each other's point. And then before she turned on her heel and walked away, she said, well, I guess you will all find out when the rapture comes. That's the way some people need to end the argument. They don't want to keep the conversation going. 
But on the other side, there's those, uh, Bill Maher. I really like Bill Maher. I haven't seen his new movie yet, Religious. I'm sure it's very funny, and I'm sure he makes fun of a certain kind of unthinking religion. But the only problem I have with this kind of dialogue put into our national understanding of what religion is all about is that that narrow focus, that narrow focus upon religion as only supernatural dogma, to me it's kind of like if you're, you know, let's say pushed off the top of a five-story building by someone else, and you conclude as you hit the ground with a splat that you never need to go on an airplane because you already know what it's like to fly. That narrow understanding of religion is just that. It's not just a narrow practice of religion. It is just one section of what religion and spirituality is and from what we can choose. Now, it doesn't mean when you run into some of these people that you don't talk to them. I encourage you to. But recognize that the fundamentalist skeptic or the fundamentalist believer, they will be offering something different than you can offer them. But there are many who are searching and seeking right now. People who had, have had enough of agendas. People who are searching for authenticity. People who are searching for something real. Your spiritual authenticity, your integrity without the Kool-Aid, your being true to your life will bring something real to people who are searching for it. The other thing to remember is this, when you talk to people, and I encourage you to do so about what's going on here at Wellsprings in your life, is that transparency builds trust. Transparency builds trust. We know from this current financial crisis, really what's continuing to abet it is that no one knows what anyone owes. No one has any idea what's on the books. We have a different practice here, which is to be transparent and open. Our faith does not require you to know all the answers. It does not. Rather, our faith only requires of you this. Be serious about your quest for awakening and insight. Our core values and beliefs are not chiseled in stone, set on a monument, and say, here, learn these, memorize these, and everything will be okay. They instead are an invitation to a life that is deeper. That's how I talk about the core values and beliefs in the 1.0, if you've been through it, is I tease each of them out into life. I tell stories. I tell images. We use poetry. That's what we exist for, to invite ourselves into that deeper realm of belonging and being. Now, the expression of who you are will change depending upon who you are talking to at that very moment. Different folks, and I know some of you have already experienced this, Different folks have different kinds of questions when perhaps they get a little bit curious about who you are and what's going on in your religious life. Some people will want to know this first thing, the truth about what you know. Some people will want to know the truth of who you know. And some people will want to know the truth about what you can share. Show that first slide. The truth of what you know. Just the facts. Jack Webb, have him guide you. Sometimes when you're letting people know about who you are, what's going on in your spiritual life, they just want to know what it is. They want to know what's there. I know it's getting a little bit warm in here. Would someone run over there and put on those fans if you know where the signs are on the back? Thank you very much. What I encourage you to do if people have questions is just recommend like it's a restaurant. A restaurant like that you like a lot Just let people know what goes on here. Let people know what's going on in your spiritual life. Let people know what religious practices you have 
So that day, perhaps because they're a little bit like Ross Perot, you know, they need to get under the hood a little bit. They need to stick their nose in there. They need to see what's going on. Allow people to see that. Just let them know the facts of how you are growing spiritually. So I encourage you, know the facts of your life. Know the facts of where you are and how you are growing. Other people are less interested in the facts. They are more interested in the folks, in who you are spending your time with so that you are growing. The truth of who you know. Relationships matter. Some people are desperately searching for relationships of meaning. Show that next slide. I know you can't see this, but you can also see that's a person who obviously is a time in their lives in which they're struggling. You can see, or you can hear what they say. What is so awful about loneliness, what makes it such an anguish, is not that I have no one to share my burden, but that I have only my burden to share. You will in time, and no doubt all of you have come across people who are sharing mighty and great burdens and are fighting a battle. Tell them about your friendships. Tell them about the kinds of connections that you are making within this community. Tell them that there is a life beyond the sort of cocktail party way of living, that there is a life deep and resonant that calls us into a relationship in which truthfulness and honesty and authenticity is the most important thing about who we are and what we do here together. There is so much loneliness out there. Perhaps there's so much loneliness even in here. At least in here we know we are not truly alone. And then the final thing. The truth of what you show. The truth of what you show to the world that I call incarnational because really it is not about anything you might even say. It's not so much about the words. It is about the reality and the authenticity of who you are and what you share. Gandhi called it being the change that you hope to see in the world. It is about what you do and it is about what we do here at Wellsprings. It is about gleanings and it is about the Habitat for Humanity house. It's about all the things we do, but it's about even more. It is being ready to share a good or kind word. And you know what? These things probably might not ever bring anyone to the doors of Wellsprings, but that's not what it truly is about. I'm going to close with one of my favorite stories, and it's one that I will tell at least once a year here at Wellsprings because I like to repeat it, and I know it's new to some of you. And as long as I'm here, you'll continue to hear it. It's from Fred Craddock, who for many years was a homiletics professor, a preaching professor down south. And he tells a story that one night he and his wife were traveling through rural Tennessee and they had stopped by this sort of roadside restaurant. They had stopped in this place like, I don't know, like the pig and whistle, something like that, something really southern sounding. And they were sitting down for a nice quiet meal, Fred Craddock and his wife, and they saw this guy sort of going from table to table, this sort of silver-haired fox with this beautiful mane of lush hair and he was sort of shaking everyone's hands and Fred Craddock thought to himself and sort of muttered to his wife, I hope he doesn't come over here. He just wanted a nice, quiet day. But sure enough, the silver-haired fox made his way over there and said, it's good to meet you, and stuck out his hand where the point was. Fred Craddock had to put down his fork and shake his hand. He said, what do you do for a living? And Fred Craddock said, well, if I use a word like homiletics, he may not know what it is, and he will keep on moving. 
He said, I'm a professor of homiletics at a seminary. And he said, ah, you teach preachers how to preach, don't you? And Fred Craddock said, oh. <laughs> and then the next word he didn't want to hear. I have a great story about preachers. And with that, the gray-haired, silver-haired fox sat down and started to tell his story. And Craddock said, I better get ready for this. The man said, I was born not far from here, on the other side of that mountain range, on the other side, on the other side, about 50 miles away. And I grew up in a very small town where I did not know my father. I did not know who my father was. They had a name for me in places like this. I was the bastard. I was a child who did not have a father, who didn't even know his own father. And I hated going to school. And especially on Saturdays, I hated going downtown to shop for my mom and for my siblings because in a small town, everyone knows your business. And I would walk down the center of that main street with the things I got at the market. I knew all the eyes were on me. All the eyes were on me saying, whose boy is he? Who's his father? And so as much as possible, I tried to stay away from almost all social interactions. But there was one place that I liked. One place that I liked, it was church. There was this new young pastor at one point who came into town, and he gave the kind of sermons that I really liked to hear, the kind of sermons that made me feel good about myself. But what I would do, I would come in late, right at the back, and sneak out before I had to meet with anyone afterwards. But one day, they ended the service differently. And I was listening to one of these messages, and I was so wrapped up that I didn't recognize it. The line was already out the door, and I was trapped. People were going to see that I, the bastard, was there in church. <sighs> Tried to see if I could maybe sneak out a side door. And I was almost to the exit when I felt this hand come right down on my shoulder. And I turned around with fear, trembling a little bit. And I looked up. And it was the minister. And he said words that I hated. Whose boy are you? And I thought, another place that's ruined for me. Another place where I'm going to be the bastard. Another place where I will not be welcome, will not be loved. Whose boy are you? The minister repeated, taking his hand off my shoulder. And with that, his face changed. And he started to smile. I know. I see it now. I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. And he put his hand back on my shoulder, but this time really gently. And he said, now, go and claim your inheritance. And Fred Craddock, back at the table in the current time, thinking, wow, I'm glad this man stopped and talked to us. And this old silver-haired fox sat quietly and said, those were the most important words anyone ever spoke to me. Those are the most important words anyone spoke to me. I thank you, good people, for your time. And with that, he shook their hands and he got up to leave. And Fred Craddock said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, can I get your name? And he said, my name is Ben Hooper. And Fred Craddock turned to his wife, and I remember 
He said, I remember that my dad told me that the people of Tennessee had twice elected a man named Ben Hooper as their governor, a man who did not have a father. Go and claim your inheritance. This inheritance of wisdom and love and commitment that belongs to all of us. Give the world, not all of you, that's too much to offer. Give the world your good words. Give the word your good self, your good work, your love, and your compassion. Because I must tell you, all of you, you are very much needed. You've got your inheritance already. That comes from just being alive. Now, go and spend it. Amen. May you live in blessing.